Hey, you're listening to the Colt Popcast. Gabe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is it called the Pulp Cop? <laughs> Why did we name it this? Why did it call the Pop though? Why did we name it this? We called it the the Cult Popcast. That's what because this is a show about pop culture, and sometimes the cult following they can that can accrue mm-hmm. behind pop culture. You are nailing this. We are the cult following, and we are talking about it as well on a podcast. On a popcast. Okay. It also had, there's like a fun thing with pop. Oh, you should, you should, what, who am I? What's my name? Who am I? <laughs> What's my name? Uh, Steven. What's your name? My name's Gabe. What's your last name? Do we need our last names? I don't, should we? I don't know. Well, I just use my full name a lot of the time. Gabriel? Like, my, my friends didn't call me Gabe. They call me G. Do they really? No. Oh. What a weird lie. It was fine until you ruined it. It was a good bit. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> they call bit. me G. All right, so I'm Steven. This is Gabe. We decided to do this because we started working together recently. We've known each other for a while. We met in film school. But we've been having a lot of conversations about film or TV as we've kind of been recommending stuff to one another. And they've been extremely fun. And we wanted to record some of this stuff and put it out mostly as a uh, creative outlet. Yeah, and I've enjoyed it so Because far. we don't get to be creative, really, in our, our normal day job. That's true. And it hurts. I actually wanted to start a podcast for a while. And I was like, I don't want to do it alone. It'll just be me in a room. Who wants to listen to that? And I was like, I need somebody who understands things, period, but also can set me straight. And, and I have found that person in Gabe. Well, there's a nice yin and yang dynamic there's a nice yin and yang I, that's something i've always enjoyed and sometimes we're insightful we're not just yeah there's, there's shooting the can there's moments around the yard so when you when you come to this podcast what are you gonna get you're gonna get us talking and with other people sometimes yeah guest guest star guest stars uh we want to create a fun place this is the goal of the podcast we want to create a fun place to discuss big and challenging ideas on anything relevant to today's culture. Or past culture. So on this podcast, you probably will hear us talk about pop culture, film, television, music, nostalgia, maybe some food and drink. Ooh. Uh, we all here in the room like those things. I like food and drink. Sometimes together. Uh, maybe we'll get into some books, hopefully, uh, or video games. Maybe and, once in a while, throw a book in there. And the reason why we want to talk about this stuff is because we're passionate as fuck. Passionate as heck. Or passionate as heck we're about all passionate. of those things. Yeah. Do you think we'd ever go so far as to talk about politics or religion or sex? I don't know anything about that one. <laughs> But I have a lot to say about the other two. I'll make up for it. Okay. But I wouldn't do that unless everyone was comfortable with it. So for these first 10-ish episodes, we're going to try to be breaking down the best film nominations in preparation for the upcoming Academy Awards. And today, we're doing Parasite. 
But before we get into today's discussion, we want to take a moment to thank today's fake sponsor. Fake sponsor of the day. Sidecar Donuts. Take it away, myself. Sidecar Donuts began as a dream established in 2012 to create the world's freshest donuts. And boy, have they succeeded. Based out of Newport Beach and now with four locations and growing, Sidecar uses the freshest and best ingredients possible to make the most wonderful tasting flavor explosion that you've ever tasted in a donut. It's true. Made fresh every hour of their waking business hours. These are the greatest donuts in the history of the world. I kid you not. Probably. You've never tasted a donut like this in your life unless you've tasted Sidecar Donuts. Uh, really incredible mouthfeel on those donuts, by the way. I haven't tried them all, but Steven's tried them all. I have tried every single Sidecar Donut that they've ever released. I just want to make that known and clear right now to the world. I've tried all of them. It's true. Except for the vegan donuts. Can you flavors. give me a number on that? Because, Ballpark? Because I don't believe in that. I don't the believe vegan in donut? I don't believe in vegan donuts. Yeah, I don't think it's real. But I've tried every other monthly flavor they've ever released. How um, many is that, you think? Up, I don't know. Upwards I, of hundred. I'm scared to look. Um I'm not I'm not as overweight as you might think. If you know he's, of you that don't he's a good looking guy for the for the thank, audio thank, listeners. Thanks, man. <laughs> Gave single. No. And good looking. Asexual. Who got him? Kidding, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Oh my gosh. Definitely not. But it's okay. We don't need to talk about that. Talk about Parasite. Let's get into Parasite. Okay. A little quick history lesson on Bong Joon Ho. Who's the director of Parasite, by the way? Yeah, he's the director of Parasite, in case that wasn't clear For so far. For those of you that don't know, probably not. But I assume if you're still listening you're probably interested in parasite which means hopefully you know about bong joon ho or you're interested in us i don't know or both or donuts maybe you just came to hear about sidecar yeah but bong joon ho let's talk about him for a minute he was born in south korea he's one of south korea's most prominent directors working today i'd say probably top two or three personally if i had to guess i think most people would agree but he was born in 1969 which means he's 51 this year 50 2020 he'll be 51 he'll be 51 in 20 he's probably 50 right now he'll be actually i know this information will be 51 on september 16th Ooh, mark your calendars <laughs> <laughs> we love bong here um his breakout <laughs> film his breakout film internationally which i think was his second film right was memories of murder in 2003, which is incredible in its own right. And maybe, I don't know if it's the best Korean movie. It's probably the best Korean movie I've ever seen, unless Parasite has taken that mantle. And I haven't yet seen Handmaiden, but we're getting off track. Uh, Memories of Murder was in 2003, and that's when the world started really noticing Bong Joon-ho, and I think you could say Korean cinema as a whole. And then he made The Host in 2006. Yes, he did. Memories of Murder was a detective kind of crime drama and the host was a pretty pretty interesting shift in direction it was kind of a monster flick no but it was it was a monster flick yeah but it wasn't about the monster that'd be like saying yeah that's walking true. dead is about the zombies but it's more about the people that are like it's the family dynamic and it's the way that 
the chaos that the monster creates. Are you saying Walking Dead is not a monster show? Well, it it shouldn't be. It's like a character drama put against the backdrop of a zombie apocalypse. At least that would be the dream. It's kind of but, schlocky. But to, but to a layperson, it'd be like Walking Dead yeah, is a monster show. I guess it's about. So. I mean, there's about the zombie show. That's true. Right. But I don't think that's the the boardroom pitch, you know. And I don't mm. think Robert Kirkman set out to just make a zombie show. But maybe he did. I don't know Robert personally. I haven't seen him in years. <laughs> we used to get donuts together. <laughs> he was there in 2012 when Sidecar opened. <clears throat> anyway. In line. But yeah, the host was also an international success in 2006. And that was big across the seas. America started you know, taking notice. And when streaming picked up, I think the host was mm. one of Netflix's when it, when that started going digital, it mm-hmm. was big there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, his last few films in the last 10 years or so have been backed by American studios. They've been joint ventures. The host and Snowpiercer uh, are some of the highest grossing films of all time in South Korea. No, they're, they're, they are the Oh, they're the two. two. Yeah, the two highest gross films. I wasn't sure, but we did the research. Steven did the research. I'm forcing Gabe to read this. <clears throat> I'm very uncomfortable at, at right now. Point. I'm sweating profusely. I'm just kidding. I'm not. I'm very cool. Um, you know, he's made a lot of movies in the last few years that have been joint collaborations with American studios. And because there's a growing audience, I think, in mm-hmm. Western countries for these kinds of movies, people are starting to see just how incredible, not just Korean cinema, but also Japanese and Chinese cinema, they're starting to go international, and that's very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit more quick history. He made Okja for Netflix in 2017, which was big for Netflix. Mm-hmm. And most recently, he made Parasite, which was released last year, since we're in 2020 now. It was late 2019, and it did very well. I don't know how wide the release was. I think it was pretty wide. I'd say a couple feet at least. I wouldn't say it was gaping in terms of width. Maybe maybe just a gape. Should I keep going or do you want to jump in there? Yeah, I'll I'll keep going cuz I I just made a I made a 1 minute section into 5 minutes. You're mucking it up. Uh Parasite won best foreign language film at the most recent Golden Globes and won best cast in a motion picture to a standing ovation at the SAG Awards. Uh, and then Parasite most recently was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Production Design, Best Directing, Best Film Editing, Best Original Screenplay, Best International Feature Film, and then also Best Picture, which is pretty incredible. That's a lot of uh, nominations. We, we were talking about it earlier, and uh, we were like, we didn't even know that could happen. Because not only is it a, a Best Foreign Film, but it's also a Best Picture nom. That's a big deal. Which is... I don't know if that's ever been done. Maybe. Yeah, this is a this is a huge deal. That's why we're doing this as the first episode, because this is a big deal. Not just for me personally. Not just for not just for <laughs> Gabe and his passion for for Parasite. Korean cinema, but also uh, for yeah for Korean cinema for all of honestly all of cinema as a whole. Uh, we're all very excited. By all I mean, Gabe and I we're in a room alone. Very excited about what's going to happen next for Parasite and also for Korean cinema. Yeah. I I personally don't have as much of a history with Korean cinema as much as Gabe does. Gabe, I don't have a big history. Well, like, I just have a great love for it. I'm a 
great admirer yeah. of the style of the Korean melodrama. Yeah. And which which was kind of the most dissenting thing that I think we yeah that's found that's where you had a little bit of issue it wasn't a, it wasn't a technical problem that you had it was more about the tonal the yeah. way they approached it you know from a yeah and I think he's been known to have very rapid and fast tonal shifts like it goes from being a darker black comedy to um, a little bit of a horror. Yeah, horror almost or something. I mean, especially in Parasite. So very quick, Gabe, can you describe Parasite? Just what is the movie about without spoiling it? It's a movie about social class conflict. And there's a big word that I like to use that I just remembered when I was thinking about this movie for the first time in like 10 years. I remembered this word. Intersectionality. And that's where different social strata classes and different groups of people interact on a on a scale like that in society and they rub up against each other and they have conflict and stuff like that so in this movie it's about social class conflict and kind of all the baggage that that comes with hypocrisy and cognitive dissonance and sometimes we don't treat each other very well just based on our social status so mm-hmm. We can just give the synopsis of the movie, I guess, from that point. Yeah. Uh, if I, I don't know if I did a very good job no, no, laying that, it out. That was good. I mean, on a general, less level? conceptual level. Oh, <laughs> it's it's about a family. It's a family uh, who they're lower class. They're lower class. I wouldn't say they're destitute, but they're they're on hard times. The family is entirely out of work yeah, at yeah, the beginning yeah. okay. of the movie. Yeah, yeah. They've uh, all lost their jobs. They're, they the ones did. that had jobs lost their jobs. And they weren't very good jobs to start with. No, they weren't. So it's about a family that is, they're all jobless. They're lower class. They're sitting in their really, really crappy house. Which is essentially just a basement unit on a, it, a yeah. larger building. And it's susceptible to people, Everything. to the chaos of the street above them. Urban Pe- living conditions, yeah. like flooding. People walking up drunk and peeing on their house. Garbage and, everywhere. Yeah. And apart from that, though, the family is, is pretty jovial, I would say. They're, um, they're high-spirited. I mean, they're, they're slightly optimistic about their status and their position. Yeah. They're very optimistic. Yeah. They're not... Uh, depressed at all based on how life keeps kind of crapping on them the whole time. Yeah. It seems that way, at least. And that leads into the whole conflict of the movie, which is they're trying to get jobs and they're approached by an old friend of the son of the family who says, Mm -hmm. I would love it if you would take my place for a summer as the tutor of this girl in this rich family mm-hmm. so the boy takes up the offer to tutor for this family mm-hmm. and they interject themselves into the lives of this upper class family mm-hmm. and- let me just say this about any movie it's best to not listen to us and see the movie blindly yeah this is a watch after all right listen after listen after i didn't know um going into it what was going to happen i had no idea what it was about i knew it was about class or status issues and and that's all i knew for for all i knew there would have been an alien that looked like a parasite that would have been attacking everyone just because i've that only, was my initial thought i, when I first heard ever the title. seen the host so i just like assume you know this is what's gonna happen <laughs> this is gonna be an alien movie it's yeah. gonna be great um i have to say for for my wife and i i was watching it with with my wife Allie. uh 
we were watching it really enjoying the first part the first half of the movie yeah yeah and then the the latter half of the film is where gabe and i started to disagree because there's there's well you had your initial disagreement even earlier than that you referenced a scene where the father is doing something and he the way he looks kind of not at the camera but the way he behaves in that scene yeah he looks is strange to you just because it is strange to me. and that's where the korean melodrama comes in and that's the thing that i love is and as someone who's not i mean personally i'm not as familiar with korean filmmaking that melodrama is strange it reminded me because I, I do like anime anime it reminded me of an anime all of a sudden and then the rest of the film seemed kind of like anime esque an <laughs> to me and it's and it's not necessarily a bad thing because i love i love anime but uh, to see it live and like live action, mind you, while all this was happening, I got sick in the middle of this movie, like with a terrible stomach flu. Oh, that was mid movie. That like I didn't realize toward that. toward the middle of the movie, and I don't think I don't think I still to this day, and, and to this day I don't mean this was like two weeks ago. Yeah, but to this day I think that that didn't affect my viewing of the film. I disagree. <laughs> Because I I was I paused it you know when I had to go vomit I would pause it oh yeah I, you were watching it at home I was watching it at home yeah, yeah, yeah when I had to throw up I would go and then I would throw up and then I would come that's back that's miserable and rewatch it <laughs> but I was still I was I was still you know watching the movie as I would watch a movie criticizing it as I would criticize a film except for pausing to go vomit yeah <laughs> at several points. I had a literal parasite. <laughs> Yeah. As I was watching Paris. Well, that's kind of appropriate. But also, I'm sad, and I hope one day that you will revisit it without a parasite inside I, you. I just... Th- it Because we talked about this already. It takes kind of a horror aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not particularly into horror. I like watching them once. But I don't want to watch horrific things happen over and over again. Which which we were talking about is different from kind of the idea of dread and, and stuff that like David Lynch would do. Did we already establish how it takes that turn towards the kind of horror-esque element in the second half? I, I think we did. You, you, We talked about yeah. that. It kind of turns it horror. It moves from the drama towards that. Yeah. But it never becomes a there, horror There's film. an event, and then there's another event, and then all these events a happen. A series of unfortunate events. A series of unfortunate events. And then uh, Jim Carrey he pops and, out. and Neil Patrick Harris pop up, and that's how the movie ends. And they dance. They have a duel. It's crazy. Uh, you wouldn't expect it. Yeah, I can't believe there's been two iterations of the series of unfortunate events. This this podcast is a series of unfortunate <laughs> events. So I think it's great so far. Okay. Well. Okay. So. Um, so we were talking about it. I yeah. I have a slight aversion to that kind of. It's like anime comes to life. What, yeah, but, but it's here, let me exaggerated. Just say it's different from what Guillermo del Toro did with Pacific Rim. It's different from what the Wachowskis did with Speed Racer. I don't think there's... Which are both... They both based those off of the look and feeling of anime. But they're still very Western movies. They are. But that's the difference. And, and so it came down to me kind of just... At me and Gabe butting heads and trying to figure out because I was trying to figure out what exactly it was that that kind of turned me off toward it and I still recognize it's extremely well directed the acting is off the charts and I'm telling you off the charts I'm I'm still surprised that none of them were nominated for best actor supporting actor Tress or supporting Tress at the, um, at the Oscars yeah um, but so happy that they won the SAG for best 
Yeah, that was um, cool. And everyone was happy for them. Like yeah. all the entire room was. I mean, it's 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 irrefutable. You know, when you look at the movie, that this is an amazing cast. Yeah. I I particularly, I mean, if I could pull out a character, the dad was amazing that guy that actor i loved his presence his charisma it's like you know trying to always have a hold a smile through all these really dark circumstances and it really comes through he seems very wise yeah just that actor uh and of himself comes off as extremely wise he's a mainstay of korean cinema really he's in he was in the host oh and he was in he was in memories of murder actually he's he's been in a lot of these big korean movies mm. because he's that good yeah yeah, yeah. And he has a big range, but he always plays... What's his name? Do you know? It's Kang Ho Song. He has an incredible range, but what's funny about, and maybe this is just kind of a commentary on Korean cinema in general, but he always plays like variations of that character where there's a very human element to it, but there's always like a bit of a levity or a silliness to it. And I think that's, yeah, it is a lot of Korean melodrama, and I keep using that word because it's... That heightened sense of, you know, situation and emotion, and it does relate to anime in that way. I think Parasite is a little more extreme. I think if you were to watch a lot of other Korean movies, like Memories of Murder, Mm -hmm. maybe something that wasn't directed by Bong Joon-ho, it wouldn't be quite as much. It would be a bit toned down, a little bit more down to earth. But I liked liked Old Boy. I have seen Old Boy. Yeah, and that was the other famous Korean director, Chen-woo Park, I think. Yeah. Yeah, his stuff is gritty, and Bong does that sometimes as well. Snowpiercer had a lot of that, I think. But even in Snowpiercer, you can see that kind of... I don't know what the really what the perfect word is for it, but there is... Good filmmaking? Yeah, but specifically when Bong has those moments where you're just like, this is crazy, and the characters are kind of... They're doing things that could happen, but just would not likely happen. They're slightly surreal. Like yeah, it's that, surreal. That sense of surrealism. That's that's what I'm looking for. Not not surreal in a dark way, but surreal in like a funny way almost. Yeah, because there there are a it's lot playful. of and yeah, that, that's playful. That's the melodrama you were talking to. And there yeah. are there are a lot of comedic moments in Parasite right. where you're just like laughing and yeah, but then it keeps turning back and forth mm-hmm. tonally, mm-hmm. and I like that. I don't know. That's just me though. Right. Yeah, let me let me just say one thing that I'm I'm gonna try to say this without spoiling it. I really also liked the ending, because um, it did the same thing that Little Women did, where it shows you something, but it tricks you into thinking that it could be that ending, but you're not really sure. It's there's ambiguous. It's there, yeah. It, it's almost like you could end it. It's and it's it's a brilliant move in in directing and writing. Yeah, I honestly. love it. Well, where where you you see something happening, it's like a false. But you're hearing something different. Yeah. And you could point to two to three different endings happening simultaneously, and you know, and you don't know as the viewer which one is correct. And it leaves you feeling kind of conflicted. Yeah, you're like bittersweet. I think would be a good word. It leaves you feeling really bittersweet. Yeah, and I like that comparison. I didn't even think of that between Little Women. Yeah. Little Women, and that's its own episode. Yeah, but the nonlinear storytelling played a larger role in that movie. Yeah, but like, yeah, there is a little the way Parasite ends. I think the last like twenty minutes of the movie are just kind of a roller coaster. I mean, the whole second half, you know, like we said, has the tonal shift. Yeah, but it keeps going. It, and does, it doesn't. It, stop. it keeps escalating and it keeps taking new turns throughout the whole thing. And I had to really think about the last major like climactic 
interaction or scene that mm-hmm. was in the movie before mm-hmm. there's kind of the denouement, if that's the correct word, the falling action mm-hmm. in the last few minutes. Because there's something that happens between some of the main characters that I was kind of uncomfortable with at first, and I was trying to figure out why they would have done that. Mm-hmm. And I'm really dancing around the spoilers here, but I think it makes sense to me afterwards. And maybe I'm just reasoning it out because oh, I want saying, it to be good. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. And there's there's a sadness and there's like, why is this happening? A feeling of confusion. Yeah, it's a confusion. You're like, is this in line with the character for one? You know, is this something that this character would be moving towards? Which is essentially the confusion that maybe he wanted to convey in, in that sometimes there, there goes these unspoken things when it comes to class and status, you know, um, hunger games did the same thing, you know, where you have all these people living their lives as if they're oblivious to how their lives are actually affecting other people's lives. Yeah. And that ambiguity in the ending could also be applied to the ambiguity of how, uh, these different classes view one another. And I think it's fun if you take that one step further. And I think I've, I've watched some videos with Bong Joon-ho and how he talks about this movie specifically, but how he approaches movie making in general also. And he wants the audience to feel that connection to the characters just as he's trying to get the characters to feel that connection to the other characters. So if, I think if you can put yourselves in the shoes of what you're seeing, these characters and how they're behaving, their actions will make sense to you the more you think about it and the decisions they make specifically towards the end of the movie Mm. and how sometimes you make rash decisions and you're just tired and you're fed up and you know things aren't going the way you want and you lash out and then you have to you know anyway yeah i have to say too uh you know he's nominated for six academy awards this film um but if i had to pick one that i would award it it would be for writing I think, mm, I think interesting. Well, I just to write kind of so profoundly the way that all of those events transpired, how the, those events changed the characters lives and made them kind of force them to make new decisions, mm-hmm. um, is pretty brilliant. I, I could not have written that movie. And, and oftentimes I think I, he, I, I come out thinking I could have written that movie. Yeah. Uh, Jurassic world. I could have, <laughs> I could have, I could have written a better Jurassic world. I think Spider-Man three. I could have written that movie. <laughs> I think my five-year-old nephew could have written that movie. Hey, feels there, bad. there's a lot of stuff there in Spider-Man 3 that uh, we should talk about later, maybe. That's another episode. But uh, no, seriously, because I have a lot to say, and now I want to say it, and I can't. I'll chime in real quick there. It's like there. I'm holding in a sneeze. <laughs> okay, keep going. I'll chime in real quick there on what I think he should win, and then we can just maybe run through real quick the technicals of it. I would give him directing. Yeah, he and it's like I said, we were talking about this earlier. It's a stiff year for competition. Crazy. Incredible in every aspect, you know, directing, screenplays. You know, you got, I would I would probably give screenplay to Marriage Story. But I, mean, I, I got to think about it some more. Here's the thing, though. He, directing, he's up against 1917. He's up against um, Todd Phillips and the Joker and, and Quentin Tarantino. And then Scorsese. I'm, and I'm not saying that he's not deserving. I'm just saying he's up against some fantastically directed films. Yeah, I think so. But I think, and here's one way I think of it, at least in this moment, is that all those other incredible directors, I don't think those were any of their best films. And I think 
parasite is Bong's magnum opus. But all that to say, I loved 1917 with all my heart. But that movie, I think, was a feat of technical engineering and not necessarily about directing. And I know they're inseparable in a lot of ways. But I think if you... Bong has painted something, and he's he's behind every step of the process. And as a director, I think that's an incredible feat. He wrote it. He directed it. I'm pretty sure he was very involved with the editing if he didn't edit it, uh, co-edit it directly. Um, but this this was like Bong's movie. And Sam Mendes shares that achievement with Roger Deakins and with his staff more, I think, than Bong kind of sits alone on that throne in a way. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of the movie as any of these nominees as the culmination of a single person's talents. Mm-hmm. And I think Parasite in that way for Bong sits above the rest. And that's just my opinion. But Oh, well, your opinion is valid because this, this is, is a podcast. This is, is a safe space. To. This is a safe space. Yeah, I'll just say the score was also really good. It had this kind of classical, fun quality to it, but it also got dark sometimes. But that's just kind of mirroring the the movie itself. I don't know, I guess. So do you think it will win Best Picture? No. I think it might. I'll give it a... F- you know what? I think it's honestly between Parasite and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Those aren't my my picks. If I had my way, if I had my druthers, there'd be a different slew up there. But I think the Academy is going to give it to Hollywood. Uh, but, once, once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, once Quentin Tarantino. But I think they're going to go crazy over Hollywood just because of Hollywood's love for Hollywood. But also, Parasite has a good shot because people keep talking about awards momentum and how people campaign for stuff like this. And Parasite's just been dominating both on an international level and now it's got Golden Globes momentum and the SAG Awards. Everyone loved it. And I think there's going to be a very good chance that Parasite takes Best Picture. If it doesn't, I'm pretty confident it will get at least one of the other major awards. You don't think that 1917 will take Best Picture? I don't think so. If it's not Parasite, I think it'll be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that's that's not what I want, again. But I think that's the most likely it's, outcome. It's, yeah, it's also not what I want. 1917 probably would be my third choice to, to win it all. And I think, the dis- I think the disparity between the top three there and everyone else is great enough to not even consider the rest having a chance. Which I have to say is sad for some of the other films because some of the other films were beautiful. And that's and... just a commentary on the Academy more than anything yeah, else. Yeah, 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 it is. Like okay. Lighthouse not getting a nomination was sad. <laughs> that's what really made me throw up <laughs> I was vomiting because <laughs> Lighthouse not getting a nomination. I mean, I would put, uh, yeah, I would do it differently. Oh, my gosh. I can't say. We're going to do a Lighthouse episode God. Uh, at some point There's... because that movie was my favorite film of 2019. Still, uh, everything I've seen, I, I just keep going Lighthouse, Lighthouse, Lighthouse. It's um, top three for me. Um, but it stands apart in so many ways. Like, it's the first movie I think of, even though it's probably not my favorite. I'm, I still love Midsummer, oh. And no one probably... F- thinks Midsummer is their favorite movie of the year. But you I know, could I could go on at length. I'm kind of surprised that Midsummer didn't get anything. Too, Did it get anything? I don't know. I don't think it I got anything. It and I'm sad <laughs> about it. Well, that's Parasite. Yeah. See it in 
somehow. Go see and, it in a theater. I was say, see it in theaters. It's going to be playing for the next month because of the awards. Yeah, because stuff. of the push. You should you should pitch your socials. Ah, uh, no, I'm not gonna do that. Okay. If you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me at Go f- Yourself San Diego. <laughs> Real quick, uh, check out our Patreon. <laughs> Kickstarting this podcast is tough. I don't know if we can use that word in this podcast. Yeah, I'm cutting out all that stuff. All right, all right. Okay, so that's Parasite. I'm sad. In the words of Bugs Bunny, that's all, folks. For now. Tune in next time as we discuss something different. Little Spider-Man 2 video game not for you. For those in the know, I'm Steven. And for those that don't know, I'm Gabe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay.